Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. Amen. What's up, church? How are we? Man, I just, I got to have you know, like, I think we were a little angsty because the, just the response didn't feel like it really hit as well as we felt like it should for our service. But I feel like this service, like we are, we're doing it this service. Amen. Even just that response right now, I'm just like, yeah, okay, we're in here at the, at the 1045. Um, if I don't know you, my name is Pastor Austin. My name's Austin. I just like call me Pastor Austin, I guess. You can call me Austin. Uh, but I uh, have the privilege and honor of leading this church alongside some just awesome, awesome people. And um, if I haven't met you yet, I'd love to say hello at some point. We're in this series right now uh, that we're just simply calling Here Too. Here Too. And, and what we're trying to really aim to do in this series is the church is, the church is so big, like we just were praying and Robin was kind of unpacking for us. We pray for the church locally every single week, um, but we know the church is global. Uh, the church is the people of God spread out all over the planet. Uh, and so what we're trying to do is maybe simplify that a little bit and talk about, man, what is it that what is it that we're here to do? Like specifically, what has God called Good Shepherd to do? What are the things that God has put on our heart? And so as we walk through this series, I would just invite you, if you've missed some of those messages, uh, go back and get caught up, if you would. Uh, because today really is going to represent a, a turning point, a pivot point in the series. And what we're going to go for the next few weeks is going to be really a, a different shift for the next three weeks of September can't believe it's already the first weekend of September, but it felt like it this morning. Praise the Lord. Anyone else? I was like, yes, Lord, I will take those 60 degree mornings all day. You can give those all anytime you want to. But uh, we're going to shift gears. And so what I'm asking you to do is if, the, if you consider uh, this your church home, uh, maybe you're not a member, but maybe you've been attending for a while. Maybe you just consider yourself kind of as part of this family, whatever the case may be. I'm just asking that you would go out of your way to prioritize the next three weeks of this series. They're going to be pivotal in, in the life of our church. They're going to be very distinct messages uh, calling us to really look at and evaluate what God has done in this place over time, over the last 40 plus years. And then we're going we're gonna to sow generously into the future. And so if you're kind of picking up on some of my language, you're like, is this guy going to have me get out my checkbook? Is there going to be a th red thermometer on stage? Like what, is he going to make me sign some sort of pledge? Like what are we doing? I just want to say, breathe out a little bit. I'm just simply going to show you what we want to do and ask you if you would consider to prayerfully participate. And so that's all we're going to do. I'm going to make it really simple and straightforward. The team's done a lot of great work leading up to this. Um, but next week, I'm asking that if you are part of this church, again, here is the ask, that you would be here the next three weeks. And if you can't be here all the three weeks, that you'd stay in touch on YouTube and then that you would be here on September 26th. That you'd go out of your way to be here on September 26th. And so that's my plug. We'll get there next week. But today... The task that is before us is to unpack that we are here to belong. We're here to belong. And this is something that I think we can all relate to because it's one of the fundamental values or needs of the human soul. Everyone needs to and desires to belong, to belong somewhere, to belong to something. How many of you all have, have been in a space where you entered into that space and you suddenly were aware, like, I do not belong here? Anyone felt that level of discomfort before? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, that was a couple years ago. Sandra Merck asked me to come pray for the women's ministry gathering on Friday morning. And I don't know if you know what that looks like here, but there's like 60, 80, I don't know, women in this family room over here. And I walk in to pray and I'm like, wow, like I'm, I'm, a, I'm a secure dude. I'm secure in my own masculinity, everything. But I was like, I, I do not belong here, right? So I was like, 
Let's uh, let's get this prayer going. Let's get on the way because I'm a bit uncomfortable right now. I don't know what all goes down in women's ministry, but I was like, all right, let's pray and let's go. I the other one I was thinking of is uh, back when I was like a, a sophomore in high school. Uh, I played high school basketball, and we uh, we would have stretching circles before practice, right? And and we would stretch, and I was I was so self conscious because as a sophomore in high school, I didn't yet have any armpit hair. Maybe this is a little TMI, but we're we're going anyways. And so you'd stretch out your triceps like this, you know, and I was looking around at all these mature just men, and I was like, you know, like, oh, I don't belong here. I feel like a child, you know? Like we've, I mean, I can stand up here and say that because I know that every single person in this room has stepped into an environment where you just simply, like, said in your mind, I, I don't belong here. This environment is not for me. And I think also what kind of simultaneously goes along with that is we've all uh, been in that space where we've done something maybe really stupid, we've said something really dumb, we've tried something really dumb, just so that we might belong. Like this need and this desire to belong really like causes us to do some things that make us filled with regret later. Amen, somebody? Like older people in the room, I think you would say to some of the younger people in the room, that you're like, this is why I'm giving rules in your life. Because I want you to make decisions, not based on what other people think you should do, but to really do the right thing because I'm trying to prevent pain in your life. And how many of you would say, yeah, I've, I've done something. And at one point I was trying to fit in. I was trying to belong. And I did something really dumb. Just so it's okay. Be honest in here this today. So there, there, right now there's two kinds of people. There's people with their hands up and then there's liars, right? Like that's just, that's what we have going on this morning. This is all of us. Like psychologists have said and will say uh, that really the need and the desire to belong is, is really one of our top five greatest needs as human beings. Right, right behind things like food, water, and shelter. They would say this desire to, to fit in and to have a community that you belong to is really, it's tucked deep down into our souls. And, and it's, such a, it's such a shame that that gets so broke in our modern culture because right now, how, how modern psychology still and other like cultural movements are going to define your belonging is based on whether or not that group is going to accept you for who, who you really are. So I can only belong so long as I'm accepted. And what this has created for us in this world, especially you young people, like you're living in this right now where, where you are trying so hard to be accepted by your peers, to be accepted by the people around you, that you're modifying all of your behavior. You're doing all this different stuff. You're talking in a different way just so that these people might accept you so that you feel like you belong. But the problem with this is that it's a moving target. Like as soon as I give myself to a peer group and I say, hey, yes, I will try this so that I fit in with you, so that I belong here. Well, then all of a sudden that peer group might decide, well, now we're going to start changing the mark. Now you have to be, you don't just have to be this radical to fit into our group. You got to be this radical to fit into our group. And that line for acceptance is always moving. and It's always going to be defined by others rather than it just being defined by this resolve of who you really are. See, because at the root of belonging is our identity. Because what we're going to do to belong to a certain group of people really comes back to the kind of people who we really are. And so it's this, it's this volatile topic. It's this critical topic that we understand where we belong. And today what I simply want to show you is that uh, you belong in a church. You belong in a church. And there are barriers that keep people from belonging to a church. But ultimately, I want to, as we walk through this, paint a pathway, show you a picture for how you can begin to belong. That simple. Those three things. We ready? Ready or not, we're going to do it. So open your Bible, if you have it, to, to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to start reading in verse 4. Verse 4. The problem with the New Testament, really, and I, I say that 
you know, cautiously, right? So there's no problems with the New Testament. It's perfect. But a problem with the New Testament is that it doesn't have a verse that says, once you become a Christian, join a local church. Like, if you're like, where's that, where's the verse, pastor, that just tells me I need to belong to a church? I would say, there isn't one. But I would say that as you go book by book, the, the underpinning assumption for the Christian is that you belong to a local community of other believers. It's, it's, it's going to be on almost every book of the New Testament. There, for goodness sakes, like Paul is writing to churches. He's writing with the assumption that people are involved already in a church, and he's writing to those people. In Revelation, uh, Jesus has these rebukes for what? Churches. People who, uh, who belong to a certain kind of church, who have given themselves over to a certain kind of drift, and he's rebuking them. There, there is just, it's, it's like no one has to remind you to obey the law of gravity. That is, I mean, you can, you can try and not obey, but ultimately you're going to keep staying on the earth. Praise the Lord. And it's kind of like that. that there's no verse that just tells you that you belong to a church, but, but what the whole New Testament is going to be understood through the framing of you belonging to a people, belonging to a people, belonging to a local context of the bride of Christ is how the church is also called. So 1 Peter chapter 2, we'll unpack this a little bit as we go. We're going to read a little bit longer portion of scripture. And the church said, ah, look at you guys, so enthusiastic on Labor Day. I love it. As you come to him, come to who? Come to him, Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. As you come to him, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. What Peter's saying here is that for those of you that accepted Jesus, for most of us in the room who have accepted Jesus, Jesus is now the chief cornerstone. And we all then, with that proclamation of faith, become these living stones that get assembled into a spiritual house. But for those who are not accepting the message of Jesus, the message of his salvation, of his resurrection, of his lordship, for who those of us who are not like, for those of you who are not accepting that, it's saying now Jesus is becoming a, a stumbling block. He's becoming this hindrance in your life. Why? Uh, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So with that text right there, with that passage right there, we see that church is not an event. It's not a building that we show up to. The church is, is the, they are the people of God. Like for people who want to say like, oh, you know, I just, I don't go to church. Church isn't my thing. I would say, yeah, because you fundamentally misunderstand what church is. Church is not a thing. It's a people group. We're called a chosen people, a royal priesthood. We are the church. We are the church. He says, beloved, I urge you, at, urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. 
How do you know if you're a sojourner or an exile? Well, Peter says right here, you know you're a sojourner or an exile if you are dictated, if you are, if you are uh, driven by, if the decisions you make run through the filter of what do I want and what do I feel? If you're a sojourner and an exile, it means that you are largely just controlled by your body's appetites. You just answer to and respond to whatever it is that your body wants to, your compulsions, whatever. But to, be, but to be a member of the church is to have this inward working power called the Holy Spirit, praise God. And even though with the inward working power of the Holy Spirit, I'm not going to be perfect, but even though sin might call, I don't have to pick up the phone anymore. I don't answer to my stomach. I don't answer to my desires. I answer to, I'm in full surrender to the Holy Spirit. And though I don't do that perfectly, as the church now, I have the capacity to say no to sin, unlike the sojourner in exile who just still answers to their stomach. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So Peter lands this with as he says that really the role of the church is to what? Glorify God. Glorify God. And, and our deeds matter in how we glorify God. If we're praising God with our mouth, but then acting like the world with the rest of our life, well, that's, that's going to be very disrupting and confusing to the world around us. And they're not going to be able to see God in us, so they're not going to glorify God through us. But our, 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 the way we're called to operate is to live in a certain way, to have distinct sets of behavior that make people so that when they see us, they go, man, okay, there's something different. And ultimately, when Jesus returns for his church, that's who Jesus is coming back for, is for his bride that he laid his life down for. And when he comes back, he's going to be glorified, not by all the bad things that we did necessarily, but also by the things that we did well. So people might see our good deeds and give glory to God on his day of visitation. So this is where a lot of people, I think, have a couple just fundamental misunderstandings with church. They either think that, um, well, you know, listen, I'm spiritual and I love Jesus. I just don't love the church. I've all heard that party line before, right? Like, oh yeah, I, lo I love being a Christian. I just, I hate the church. I'm just like, you love being a Christian, but you hate Christians. Okay, like, it just doesn't make sense for me, right? And, and, and I think what you misunderstand when you say that, and, and I'm, listen, I know I'm preaching the choir. Y'all are here on church on Labor Day. I know I'm not primarily talking to you, but I'm hopefully giving you some things that you can put in your toolkit so that you can talk to other people who talk this way. Amen? But it's also, it stirs us up by good way of reminder that no, God, God loves his church. So when people say, you know, I, I love Jesus, I just don't love the church, so I don't go to church. Uh, this is how Charles Spurgeon would answer that. Answer that. Uh, and this, listen, before we read this, this quote kind of gets you a little bit. Spurgeon's going to be a little, he's going to press on us a little bit here, and that's okay. All right? He says, there's a brick. What is the brick made for? It's made to build a house. The brick, it's of no use to tell you that it's just a, as good a brick while it's being kicked about on the ground by itself, as it would be as part of a house. So he's saying, well, the better alternative is not just be this living stone that's a brick being kicked around by life, but rather to be part of a spiritual house. That's what the brick was made for. He goes, actually, it's a good-for-nothing brick if it just exists by itself. So you, rolling stone Christian, I love that, don't, I don't believe that you're answering the purpose for which Christ saved you. Listen to this last sentence. You're living contrary to the life which Christ would have you live, and you are much to blame for the injury you do. There's not much that just a single brick offers outside of just injury. That's almost all it's good for. But a spiritual house can be something that's a bunch of bricks assembled to be something that's beautiful. 
And so Charles Spurgeon says, man, some of you people who are, who are just so bent on being spiritual without the church, loving Jesus without the church, he's saying, you're inflicting a lot of pain on your life, and the only person that you have to blame is yourself. Yourself. So but then I think the other thing that we like to do is we like to go, well, listen, I just like, I, I, I understand the church is there. I just, I don't think that I belong to a church. And this is a, this one's a lot more serious, maybe. How many people, you know somebody who have, a major hurdle with even just stepping into this room. And they just kind of go over their past and they just say, I'm so disqualified. I'm so far past being able to go into a church. And here's the problem with that. We're all disqualified from being in here. Every single one of us. Ephesians chapter two uh, is, if you haven't read Ephesians chapter two, you need to put that on your to-do list this week. This week, go read Ephesians chapter two because it's the best bad news, good news chapter maybe in all of scripture. It starts with Paul writing, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. You were dead. It's a good reminder. We say this since all the time, but it's good to be reminded. Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. And every single one of us in this room, it doesn't matter if you gave your life to Jesus when you were one and his name was the first words you ever said because you just grew up in church, or if you just have this whole like backstory, a just trail of carnage in your life from the mistakes that you made. Jesus saved you because it says you were dead with your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And it goes on in verse, in verse four, but God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together in Christ, together in Christ. Paul goes on to kind of round this thought out in Ephesians 2, 19. He says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens. So if you just, if you come and if you would give your life to Jesus, you are no longer an outsider or an outcast, but you are now fellow citizens with the saints. You're like, Austin, you don't know my backstory. I'm like, you probably don't know the backstory of some of the people sitting in this room right now. Please listen to me. Like there is nothing that can disqualify you from belonging to the church. And there's nothing that can qualify you for belonging to the church other than Jesus. And because of Jesus, all are welcome in. And so that's my, I, want, I want that to be our message all the time. I want you to hear that. If you do not follow Jesus, if you're just interested, if you're just getting drugged in here by some friend every week, I want you to know Jesus is the only thing that qualifies all of us to be in this room right now. Every single one of us. And we're called no longer to be strangers and aliens, but through Jesus, through his, his blood, through the grace with which he lavished on us, we are now fellow citizens with the saints, fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Do you know what that phrase means? Family. You're part of the family. And so I just, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, you can be part of the family. You can belong here. So many other things are, are trying to compete for and to, to scratch that relational itch in your life so that you can feel like you belong. And I just want to say, there's no greater place to belong than the church. There's no, and you might think, man, this church, it's just filled with hypocrites. I would say, man, you just don't understand why most of us are here. Because like, it's like, no, I, I know I'm hypocritical sometimes. I know I'm sinful sometimes. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the love with which he loved us, gave himself up even while I was dead in my trespass and sin and he saved me. And so I'm here every week to learn more about him, to give my life to him, to offer up prayer to him, to offer up worship to him because he saved me. Amen. 
So here we are. We're the church, and everyone's invited in. But what I want to speak to a little bit is some of the barriers that I think keep us now as Christians from belonging. What are some of the barriers that keep us from belonging? I think one of the first ones is uh, our, our, our usage of time. Our usage of time. The way we spend our time as Americans, and I think if you look at it maybe from a, a high level, like there is, there is tons of prosperity that has been blessed to this country. Like, man, there, there is, I don't know if there's another country in the world right now where there are eight-year-olds who are, are making millions of dollars a year, a year uh, from YouTube because they just film themselves while they open their toys. You know what I'm saying? Like, th- there is this, like, tremendous amount of, like, prosperity and opportunity that exists in our country. So we as Americans, here's what we do. On that prosperity line, we either fall into the pitfall of workaholism. If that's a word. I don't know. Just made it up. It is a word? Thank you. We can be workaholic on the one end, right? Where we just, where we just, because there's so much opportunity, because there's so much to always do, there's always more that we can pad the bottom line with. We just give ourselves over to work all the time. All the time. There's always more work we could be doing. There's always new opportunities we could be taking. And so we just work, work, work. But then on the flip side of that is passivity and laziness. Because, because we're so prosperous in our country, there's this, there's this ability to not produce anything and still be taken care of. I just saw this headline this morning while I was studying, as if to make my point for me, that right now they estimate there are 10 million job openings in America and there are 8 million people on unemployment. I was just like, well, there you go. There's the problem. Like, it's just, it's too easy. There's too big of a safety net. You can just sit there and you can watch Netflix all day, every day, 30 hours a day. You're like, that's not possible. I know, but you get the concept. You know what I'm saying? And we just sit there and, and we binge watch all this stuff. and We just live in our parents' basement. We just don't produce. And I just want to say, if that's you in this room, and like, you know how you're wired, okay? So let me, just, let me just acknowledge that. You know if you're wired towards the workaholic side of things or if you're wired towards the uh, laziness side of things. And so what you need to respond with is going, okay, uh, either way, no matter which camp I fall to, God has gifted me. God's given me gifts and he's saved me. And his vision for my life is not for me to sit around and do nothing. And it's also not for me to produce everything on my own, just like we were saying earlier. Not by my power, not by my might, but by his spirit, says the Lord, right? And so either way, what we need to do is we need to figure out a way to live in this tension and to go, okay, God, um, you've designed me to cultivate and to create and to work and and to see to it that beautiful things are unleashed into the world that we're living in. And God's, God's given that to us. He's given us that capacity. But here, like, here's how Solomon captures it in Ecclesiastes. He says, Ecclesiastes 4, he says, Then I saw that all toil and all skill in work came from a man's envy of his neighbor. So let that, I mean, for those of you on the workaholic side, this is, that's probably where I fall too. I, I got to check myself. Is all of my drive, is all my passion, where is it coming from? Because in the most beautiful place, it's coming from going, man, God, you've given me so much. I'm just going to steward it to the best of my ability. But from the worst possible place, it's going, I just want to try and keep up with the Joneses. Really, it's just, it's coveting. I'm just going to keep trying hard because I don't have what he has, what she has. The fool, though, folds his hands and eats his own flesh. That eats his own flesh uh, phrase literally means destroys himself. So the fool sits down and, and folds his hands all the time and destroys himself. So we don't want to live there. Um, better is a handful of quietness 
So as in, as in one hand of toil, one hand of work, and one hand of quietness, then two hands full of toil and a striving after wind. This is a good one just for business leaders in the room, for people who are in charge of a lot of stuff. If you don't feel like you can walk away for a week and that business is going to go just fine on its own, you have to ask yourself the question, is it my business or is it God's business? I think that's a question you got to ask to go, man, if I can't let go, if I can't take one hand and just cultivate the personal relationships that God's put in my life, if I can't prioritize some other things and be quiet for a little, but because I got to keep both hands on this thing all the time, I just, just want to ask you, like, who does it belong to? Who does it belong to? He goes on to say, again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil. We, we know this guy. We know this caricature, right? He just, he gives himself completely over to his business. He just works nonstop. He has everything that he ever could, uh, ever could ask for. He just works and works and works. He toils, he toils, but he doesn't have anyone to share it with. His eyes are never satisfied with riches so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? Solomon says, this also is vanity and an unhappy business. I think the answer that we're really looking for is, is, is intentional rhythms intentional rhythms. Um, John Maxwell says it this way. He says, time management is an oxymoron. Time is beyond our control. Thank you, John Maxwell. Like just, that gives me anxiety, I think, just reading it, you know. He says, the clock just keeps on ticking regardless of how we lead our lives. But priority management is the answer to maximizing the time we have. All of our days are identical suitcases, all the same size, but some can pack more into them than others. So the answer is just choosing what you're going to prioritize. It's not trying to manage all the requests that are always coming in. It's, it's going like, no, what are the things I'm going to value? And I'm saying, if you are going to value belonging to a church, here are some things that I think we need to prioritize. I think daily, you need to prioritize the relationships that God's already put in your life. I, I have one of those jobs where no matter how hard I work, there's always more work to do. Anyone else have one of those jobs? Come on, enough. okay, four of you have that job? I know I'm not the only one. How many of you could just stay at work all day, every day, and never get everything done? That's me. Like, the sermon could always be better. Some of you are like, amen, pastor. It could always be better, you know? It could always be better. I could always call more people. I could always, I could always pray more. I could always study more. There's always more that I can do. I have to reach a point in every day where I just go, okay, God, listen, I have to rest. But you don't because you are sovereign and you are greater than me. And so I am going to go spend some time with my family. I'm going to go pick my kids up from school and I'm going to enjoy an evening with them. Amen? We have to be intentional about prioritizing the relationships that God has already put in our life. Maybe you don't live with your family. Maybe you live by yourself. I would say go for a walk every day. Get just around your neighborhood. Get around your complex that you live in. And, and here's, what, here's what could happen. When you see people, you could talk to them incredible. Like, I know it's just an insane thought, but you could actually go out there, walk your block, see the people that are out and about in their front yards or on their patio, whatever, and you could have a conversation with them. And listen, I, I know some of you are so introverted, that freaks you out. You never want to do that. But, but God has, regardless of how introverted, how extroverted you are, God has placed this need for human relationship inside every single person. Some people have different capacities than others, for sure, for sure but we need to prioritize the relationships and the people that God's already put around us. Let's say you live with just roommates. Maybe you're, maybe you're in a younger stage of life and you just have roommates in your life. Well, rather than just sitting at home on the couch with your roommates and sending them memes that are hilarious on Instagram, why don't you just put the phone down and talk to them? 
Like, like, you know what would be awesome for roommates? Like, just put the phones away for a little bit. Get some ingredients out, like some pasta noodles and some marinara sauce and some ground beef and make a meal together. Like, just don't order out one night a week. Just go, just prioritize, hang out with, have an hour every day that you just find with your friends and you just go, hey, let's just chill. Let's just hang out. Let's just, let's, let's talk. Let's quit sending each other messages through Instagram. Let's just talk to each other. We need to prioritize the relationships that God's given us every day. And then every week, here's what I think some priorities can look like. You can prioritize the gathering of God's people on Sundays. In other words, you can come to church. Come to church. Average church attendance for Americans is somewhere between one and two times per month. And that's not, that's not just like American church attendance. That's Christians who love Jesus. That's their self-attested attendance to church every month, one to two times a month. Listen, like if you just listen to 25% of what we're going through as a church, not only are you going to miss all the sermons that we're going through, you're going to miss all the worship that we're entering into, but you're going to miss the people that we're hanging out with on Sundays. You can't spend 25% of your Sundays here a month and expect to be relationally connected. You're not going to feel like you belong here if you're only here one quarter of the time. And so we got to be here. And when you come here, don't just, don't just show up during the first song. Come early. Stay late. Mix up where you sit. When, when we go before the host and the host is about to do some announcements and say, hey, say hey to a neighbor. <laughs> say hey to a neighbor. Well, hey, what's your name? I'm Austin. Nice to meet you. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Meet each other. Like, like, man, I don't know you. Let's grab coffee sometime prioritize the gathering. And when you're here, be here. Be here. Don't be somewhere else. Be here. And then also, I think everyone should prioritize being in a small group. My small group meets three times a month, every month. And it cannot be just super honest with you as your pastor today. There are plenty of Tuesdays that roll around and I'm in small group with my close friends, people I, I love every single one of the people in that group. And there are times when Tuesday afternoon hits and I'm like, man, I'd rather do anything than go to small group. I want to just go to bed right now. I've had a long day. I just want to eat a meal and go to sleep, right? But no, we have chosen. We've said, no, we're determined. We're going to share life deeply with some people. And when we get together, it's very simple. It's not this like elegant small group where we're doing like crazy exegesis through the book of Revelation. and We're learning about all the horsemen of the apocalypse. No, listen, we hang out, we eat, we pray, we talk about what Jesus is doing in our lives and we read scripture together. Anyone can do that. And our hope as a church is that every single person has some relationships that get to that depth, that you would be in a group with some people, that you would get to know some people in this church. We want to be, this is how we say it, we want to be a church of small groups, as in every single person, this whole church is just consisting of a bunch of small groups everywhere, rather than just being a church with small groups. Yeah, we have a few small groups that meet up every now and then. No, we want to be, we want to be a place where people are relationally connected. The second thing that I don't think we're under, aware of, and that's what we'll say here, is that I just don't think we're convinced of the, the help that we need. I don't know if it's just like this rugged individualism that we have in America, but I think we just think we got it. And we're good. Like, I, no, with my faith, like, it's just my faith. It's very personal. Like, I'm good. I got it. I don't need all these other people to help me. I got this. Uh, but here's what Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 8, 9. So this is kind of how he is going to round out this letter, this first letter that he writes. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary, the devil, prowls, ar prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Okay, so Haven, our three-year-old, has this stuffed leopard cheetah situation. I don't know what it is. It's like this big, though. Uh, and it's like the size of a dog, you know? 
she just drags that thing around all over during the day. And so uh, the other morning, I'm coming down the stairs. It's very early, dark outside, but there's some moon coming in through our back patio uh, doors. And that cheetah is sitting like right there. And as I rounded the stairs and came down the stairs, I like, I leapt. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was like, there's something in my house and it's going to try to eat me, you know? And, and, and so, okay, that's funny. But like, if I told you, hey, when you leave here today, uh, seen a lion walking around and uh, looked really hungry. It's probably going to try and eat you when you walk out of the building. Like you'd walk out a little more mindfully, wouldn't you? And yes, that's ridiculous, but that's also exactly what Peter is telling us is going on. That you have an enemy that's trying to destroy you. He's trying to steal, kill, and destroy things that are happening in your life that God is doing. And here's, I love this. It says, resist him. Stand firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. There's nobody in this room that's going through a situation that's unique to them. There isn't. And that's going to be lie number one. The devil tells you so that you never share what's going on in your life. You're battling some sin and you're convinced you're the only person that's battling it. I just want to say that's, that's baloney sandwiches. There's no way. There's not one person that's going through something that's unique in this room. And get, the way that God has designed the brotherhood to work is for us to confess what we're doing with some people that we trust and we love. And we're going to take what's in the dark that we're fighting in the dark that is just devouring us, if we could be honest. And we're going to bring that out and expose it in the light. And now I'm going to have me and my homies going to try and kill that thing. And they're going to keep me accountable and they're going to check in on me and they're going to love me and they're going to encourage me and they're going to pray for me. And that is how we're going to fight this enemy that seeks to devour us. But we're convinced that we don't need the help. So we have this barrier to belonging because we aren't sure that we need the brotherhood, the sisterhood to come in and help us. But we do. We do. The last one I want to talk about is I think we just lack a value for family. We lack a value for family. This one I want to be really honest with, and this might, this might hurt a little, but I'm trying to help. I'm trying to help. Um, I think we just live in this super narcissistic time where people are super obsessed with themselves and think them as themselves is the most awesome thing that's ever happened. You know what I mean? And, and you couple that with just the hyper-offendability that exists in our culture right now, where as soon as I say something that's hard, uh, you just immediately get offended. And, and here's, here's what happens is because we're so narcissistic, tell me if you've had this conversation before, where you start talking to somebody and you ask them like the five generic questions that you ask anybody ever in any conversation. And you go, how are you? How's your family? How's your job? What's new? And, and some other fifth one. Like, it's just like, it's that simple, right? Like, I'm going to ask you those five questions generically in almost any conversation. And how many of y'all have been through one of those conversations, you've asked all those questions, and that person has asked nothing back to you? And I'm like, hello, I have all of those things going on in my life as well. Like, you just see, not, like, and then, and then here's what I know happens. It's like, I start to leave that conversation because I go, I just spent 10 minutes asking about you and you didn't return any questions about me. So guess what? See you later. I've got a bajillion people to greet here. Like I've, I've got so many people to say hi to. I've got, I want to go talk to my friends. I want to see people. And, and then, so I'm like, okay, I'm going somewhere else. And I know what happens is people get offended that somebody didn't take more time to talk to them when realize what you need, you need to realize is that uh, you're not asking people any other questions. You think it's all about you. And so when we do that, it, we're creating this, we're operating in this like victimized mentality where we're saying, oh, they just don't want to hang out with me that much. They just don't want to talk to me. And I'm like, listen, here, here's just like a relational tool that you can use in your toolkit. Ask more questions than you are asked in a conversation and people will like you. Because again, we're narcissistic. We think the world's about us. 
And so if you ask me five questions and I only asked you three, I'm going to walk away going like, that person's pretty cool. I like them. They liked me clearly. So they're awesome. So this is just, I'm just telling you, like you can use that to have this value for family because we want to check in on each other. I walk in every, every Sunday with the mentality, this is not about me. It's not about me. It's about all the people who are going to be here on Sunday morning. It's about the Lord before all those people. It's about, uh, I, I'm like fifth on the list before it's about me. So as family, we prioritize the needs and the values of others and we check in on them. The other thing that I just want to add in here is that um, family doesn't bounce when they get offended. And so some of you, I just want to lovingly tell you, you're on a three-year church rotation. And right now you might be in year one and you're like, this church is everything I dreamed it would be and more. It's incredible. These people are amazing here. And then we're going to offend you. Uh, maybe already did today, just now. We're going to say something that you don't like or, or that person's not going to return your call or they're not gonna, you're not going to get in that small group and you're going to choose offense. And so after about two, three years, you're going to say, well, that, you know, listen, that church just doesn't got it. And then you're going to find the church that does got it. And the timer is just going to start all over again. And I just want to lovingly tell you that it's not family if you bounce every time you get offended. Family sticks. Like, praise God, marriage doesn't work in a way that every time I offend Katie, she leaves me. And some husbands should be saying, amen. And some wives too, right? I'm so, like, we're all imperfect people here. And so like, and, and the leaders of the church are imperfect. This church is imperfect. You know why? Because we're all here. So we're imperfect. We're gonna make mistakes. Find a church that loves the spirit of God, preaches the word of God, is passionate about the people of God, and, and there are gonna be imperfections and you give yourself to that church and you serve her. Amen? Because the church does not exist for you, but you for her. We are the people of God together, serving Jesus. That's what we're here to do. So here, in the last couple minutes here, let me just give you a couple avenues where you can begin to belong. I think I've already outlined a, f a few. You can show up at church. Outside of that, you can, you can be a part of a small group. We're going to kick off small groups over the next couple weeks. And there's kind of two that I want to highlight. There's a women's ministry that you can get signed up for, uh, especially uh, you ladies who are just looking for something on a Friday morning or a Wednesday evening. There is women's ministry that just is great here that you can get signed up for. You can find it on our website. The other one is a marriage class that's kicking off here in just a few weeks. And this, it's a marriage class that exists for, for people who are married who just want to get better. It's not for people who are in crisis. It's not for people who are uh, having the best time of their lives ever being married. It's just for people who want to invest in your relationships, learn to communicate more effectively, resolve differences well, and more. How many of y'all are like, yep, could use that? Every single one of us that's married, amen? So that's a place where you can meet other married couples and you can hang out. You can get in a group, students in the room. Like we have youth group that happens on Sunday afternoon and Wednesday evenings. You should prioritize getting to those. Get to know, yes, like have, have your homies that you hang out with in school, but have some church family that gets to know you deeply that you can invest in. Get in a group. Monthly, on a monthly basis, we're gonna start this encounter night pattern. We did our first one on Wednesday and it, last Wednesday, it was insane. It was awesome. We just all came in here unified in our desire to just pursue after the heart of God and just say, God, what do you wanna do? And in that, we got to, Actually, we felt like the Lord led us to kind of break out and do some praying for one another. And, and I'll tell you, every single time we do that, what people come up to me and say afterwards is, uh, is, man, thank you for letting us pray for each other. Because if you want to know that you belong, oftentimes what that's going to happen is encountering the Lord through the people of God. Not necessarily through my sermon, not necessarily through worship. But when someone comes up to you and says, hey, can I pray for you? Hey, I feel like I got this word for you. Can I share something with you? And so 
come to those encounter nights. The last one was awesome. The next one's sure to be even better. But ultimately, God has put this desire to belong in every single person's heart. And praise God, he's given you a place to take that desire. And it's the local church. It's the local church. No, we're not perfect. Um, and, and this is not a membership rally for this church. I, I hope that if anything, maybe you go, yeah, this is, this is not the church for me. Praise God. You can cross it off your list and go to the next one. But my hope that we communicate today is that God's design for you is to be a part of a spiritual house. If you are a living stone, fit into a spiritual house. And for those of you who aren't Christians in the room, my invitation always wants to be, you can belong here. You are no more broken than any more person in this room was, I promise you. You can belong here. Because of Jesus, you can belong here. Amen, church? Can we stand and pray? Jesus, it's no small task to get plugged in somewhere, especially when we've been hurt, especially when uh, people we've trusted or people we've loved have really burnt a bridge somewhere. And so, God, I pray that those uh, wounds would heal. And, and, God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would compel us to step into a church so that we don't let those past wounds dictate our future. God, your design is for us to belong to a people. And so I pray that whatever obstacles in our way, I pray that we would be able to overcome that, whether it's our time management or whether it's the way that we value one another and our need for close friendships and community, or whether it's just the way that we maybe view the church. God, whatever the obstacle or barrier is, I pray that you would show us that, that uh, this is the bride of Christ whom you, you gave yourself up for. You died to save her. And so if you love the church that much, God, I pray that we would as well, that we'd love the people of God well in this place. Uh, this is going to take your Holy Spirit. And so we just ask, even as we, even as we end the service today and we leave here, God, I just pray that you would stir us up, stir us up to be more compelled to plug in, to, to connect, to belong, Lord, because you've made a way. Lord, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you, church. We love you. See you next week.